This is the Hacker Valley Studio Podcast, exploring the human element behind cybersecurity programs and technology. Look, we all know from experience, compliance sucks. But what if I told you that there is a better way? Our good friends at Bycheck developed the first ever managed service for SOC 2. Leverage the innovative Bycheck platform and a combined experience of over 30 years from the Bycheck team to complete your SOC 2 examination faster without the headache. The Bycheck team works as an extension of your team to prepare evidence, draft SOC 2 report sections, and provide all the necessary artifacts to your team to then provide to auditors. Reach out to the Bycheck team by dropping down into the show notes and visiting bycheck.com. Welcome back to the Hacker Valley Studio podcast. Imagine for a moment you're driving for Uber and one of your riders changes your life forever. That's a story we're going to get into with Kendrick Trotter. He is an entrepreneur that has had an incredible journey in technology. He talks about this. He talks about the relationship between sales and engineering and much more. Let's jump right to this episode. What's going on, everybody? You are in the Hacker Valley studio with your hosts, Ron and Chris. Yes, sir. Welcome back to the show. Glad to be back again. Our guest today is helping to diversify the technology industry through partnerships with top technology firms. We are honored to be speaking with Kendrick Trotter, CEO and founder of Us in Technology. Kendrick, we met a few weeks ago at the Technology Workforce Collaborative Summit. It's a pleasure to speak to you again. Welcome to the show. Thank you, thank you, thank you, team. The honor is all mine. I've been a fan of Hacker Valley for about a year and a half now. I originally learned about the Hacker Valley podcast by a buddy of mine, Jimmy Sanders, yeah. um, who recommended it to me as an opportunity to kind of learn more about the space and, and network with some good people. So, you know, super excited and humbled to be a part of this. Yeah, we couldn't wait to have this conversation. Even though we just officially met a few weeks ago, I feel like we've been in the same circles for, like you said, about a year and a half. For the folks that don't know who you are just yet, we'd love to hear a little bit about your background and what you're doing today. You know, I guess I'll, I'll kick it off with a, a little bit about my journey into tech, right? And try to, you know, paint the picture. So as Ron said, my name is Kendrick Trotter. I was originally raised in the inner city, um, the Bay Area, you know, Richmond, California specifically. Was raised by a single mom, so we moved around a lot. We moved from Richmond to Oakland, from uh, Oakland to Vallejo, from Vallejo to Stockton, and finally this small town called Patterson. You know, as a kid, you naturally have aspirations to like maybe take care of your family, you know, to have a nice house, a nice car. But for a lot of us that grow up in those inner cities, we generally associate that with the path of like, you know, being an athlete, being an entertainer or unfortunately being in the streets. I, I had no idea as a kid what the opportunities of tech really included. So I was fortunate to get a scholarship to play football um, at the University of Idaho. And when I came home, I had just started Ubering, you know, to try to figure out my life a little bit. And I met a VP of sales. It was actually the VP of sales at AWS. And uh, that was the first time I heard about like tech sales, right? So he introduced me to the idea of tech sales. 
And he said that the industry is always looking for more underrepresented people. And he actually helped me get my first job. So that was how I got into the tech industry. And my first job, I worked for a cybersecurity company, which I liked a lot. Uh, It's a company called Agari. Uh, So email security. Chris, Ron, are you familiar with Agari at all? Yes, yes. Definitely heard of Agari. Okay, cool. So Agari was a really hot product. It was really cool because we had a product that focused specifically on on false sender identification emails. And um, for some of the people that may not be the most technical on the phone, 95% of cyber attacks usually originate via an email. And the number one problem with email is that it requires no authentication. So I can create an email tomorrow that says Chris Corcoran 95 at yahoo.com or ron at gmail.com. And there's no way to authenticate that. So I was there for a few years. I really liked it. I went from Agari to a cybersecurity company called Radware, where at Radware, we sold network and application security. So DDoS, load balancing, web application firewalls, and so forth. And after being in industry for about two or three years, I was volunteering my time on the weekends, helping other minorities break into the space. So giving them mentoring, giving them a little bit of guidance, and uh, ultimately helping to place them. February of last year, I actually transitioned to that being my full-time job, which is uh, being the founder and CEO of Us in Technology, which is just focused on helping more underrepresented people break into the tech industry. That's pretty much like my 30-second commercial, Ron and Chris. <laughs> and we can go deep on, on either end, but I'm, I'm going to let you guide me there. Absolutely. I'd love to dive a little deeper on that initial discovery. When you were talking to that executive at AWS, it seems like that was the catalyst to put you on this incredible trajectory. So what was that conversation like? And then once you discovered that world exists, because we do have that framework exists, which is explore, immerse, study, translate and transform. When you found out that this world existed, What was that like for you and how incredible was that journey up until this point? For me, when I heard the idea of tech industry, I always assumed like engineering and coding and I'm not the most talented in those areas. And so when we were Ubering, when I was Ubering and uh, he was my writer, I asked him for his opinion. I said, hey, I'm interviewing with Gallo Wine and Mercedes Benz of Oakland. Who should I interview with? And everybody who heard my story, they said one or the other, right? The conservative people, they said, go for Gallo Wine. It's a great family. And everyone else said, Kendrick, if you can sell a car, sell a Benz. So <laughs> when, when, I, when I met Josh, Josh Berzin is his name, I gave him the two options. And he's like, you should get into tech sales. So it, it kind of made me mad a little bit, right? I'm like, I gave you two options. <laughs> and you, you, you bring out a third option. And so um, I told him, I said, I can't do tech. He said, yeah, you can. He said, if you can study a playbook for football that changes every week, you can study product knowledge. So I was like, hmm, like, okay, that makes sense. And I said, well, you know, not to be rude, but, you know, I got this ambitious goal. I'm trying to make six figures by the age of 25. And where I'm from, right, if you make six figures, you're a millionaire. I don't care what age you are. And he laughed at me and he said, Kendrick, you don't understand. Kids are making this in entry-level positions. Mm. So at that point, I was actually taking them to buy a house in Samarville, which was a super big house. I literally pulled over. I popped my trunk. I gave him my resume. And I'm like, sign me up. 
right? So you're telling me if I'm horrible at this for two years, at year three, I can make six figures for the rest of my life. He's like, yeah. So I gave him my resume. It was, uh, it was horrible. It was dirty. It was crusty. I'm taking him to buy the house. And he's like, hey, Kendrick, do you mind waiting here? I'm going to go buy this house. I'm going to come back and I'm going to help you get a job. I'm like, say no more. I'm just waiting there. You know, he goes, he comes out in like 15, 20 minutes. And he tells me, he says, Kendrick, even us 55-year-old white men, we get tired of going into meetings and only seeing other 55-year-old white men. He said, we want to see more women. We want to see more people of different ethnicities, more people of different, you know, nationalities, age ranges, and so forth. And that was when he guided me to applying for my, my first company. It was also the first time I ever heard of a LinkedIn um, because he actually helped me on my LinkedIn profile. Sometimes it's not necessarily about what you know. Sometimes it's also about who you know. I'm sure that has been a reoccurring theme on your journey is being connected to the right people, following up, asking about these opportunities. What does networking mean for you? How have you used your network to enable your career? And what is some of the advice that you give those that you work with that are working with your organization, us in technology? I think networking is everything. I had a mentor at Agari who told me, Kendrick, the most important thing at your current job you can do is the relationships you make. As a person, as a professional, especially now everyone has social media, we're all our own brand. Every day we wake up, we have an opportunity to either increase the value of that brand or unfortunately decrease the value of that brand. As a sales rep, what my mentors always you know, shared with me is the value of being curious, of, of problem solving, and to never allow anything to ruin a relationship, right? Even if it's a short-term win, don't let a short-term win ruin what could be a possible long-term, um, a long-term relationship. So just for some of the listeners on today, a quick story about how I became like best friends with the CIO of Capital One, with Jimmy Sanders, who's at Netflix, who ultimately connected me with Chris. It was actually Black Hat, I think two years ago. Uh, we were at Black Hat two years ago, and I was at a, a networking event. It was just like a happy hour. And I seen a guy drinking just by himself, kind of chilling. And so I respectfully go over, introduce myself. I asked if he wanted to drink. And we just started hanging out. We just got to know each other a little bit. When we got to know each other a little bit, he invited me to an event. And I asked him for his name. I asked him for his LinkedIn, and he wouldn't give it to me. So I'm like, okay, that's kind of weird. But it was a cybersecurity conference. I thought no big deal about it. The next day when he invited me to the event, it was a Sephora event, right? He was actually the CIO of Sephora. Mm. And he's taking me to this event. Everyone's like, there's this older guy, and you see this young black guy. And they're like, how do you guys know each other? And um, he's like, this is my friend Kendrick. And he said, Kendrick, you were nice to me before you realized who I was. And I told him, I said, well, you were nice to me before you realized who I was. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so, like, you know, that short relationship, now that same individual is now the CIO of Capital One. Um, at that same event, I, I met Jimmy Sanders who at the time I was, you know, trying to sell to. Um, but even in our sales process, you know, I was always honest with Jimmy about the things we could do, the things that we couldn't do, some of our advantages, some of our disadvantages. 
And in the midst of that, he and I created a personal relationship where he actually, you know, felt comfortable enough. He felt enough trust in me to invite me to, you know, events like this and so forth. And uh, so Jimmy now connects me to Chris. Um, Chris, I was actually on a, an event with you a few years ago, which was a day in the life of Netflix when you came in. Yeah. Well, mm -hmm. The networking, the, the power of networking goes on and on. So what I encourage my mentees to do is to always be remembered by every person that you interact with and never ruin a potential long-term relationship for a short-term win. That is great advice and such a, a lesson in networking and the power of networking and not even just networking to get something out of the relationship, but building genuine relationships. And speaking of genuine relationships, and you sort of touched on it on your story there, is understanding the 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 complexities of a salesperson in relation to the engineers, to the applications and the, the solutions that they're creating. There seems to be a disconnect in some areas, in some places that that alignment is good. But it sounds like you were on the right side of that argument. You you told exactly what the application could do, what it couldn't do, the shortcomings. And I think people as buyers appreciate that. Could you tell us a little bit about what you think about the community as it is as a salesperson? And you have now you have sales engineers and then they're talking to engineers as well. <laughs> tell us a little bit about how you see that environment today. I appreciate you asking that. And that's actually the part that really excites me about this conversation. Like when you see Ron and you see Chris and you see their their background is, is definitely like engineering focused, uh, network focused, and, you know, really on the technical side. And I didn't want to say it too early in our speaking segment because I don't want anyone to drop off. But, you know, I'm definitely on the sales side. And <laughs> I think that, um, you know, one of the lessons that I learned from Jimmy when I was, you know, trying to kind of, you know, sell to Jimmy a little bit. He said, Kendrick, you want to know a secret? He said, no one expects a product to be 100% perfect because there's no such thing. And he said, the easiest way to build trust as a salesperson specifically is acknowledging the things that you can't do up front. And when you do that, people know that you have the best interest for them. So I know that the, the dynamics you know, generally between like a, a technical resource and a salesperson can be a bit, a bit complicated. But I, I would say that in, in my experience and working with some of the bigger clients, the secret to it all is to just always acknowledge the things you can and can't do. And, uh, you know, just make sure that that person that you're working with, you make it a, a, a solution selling versus um, a hard sell, right? Try to better understand what, is keeping that person at night. What is, you know, what are they trying to resolve? What are their priorities for the year? And if your product doesn't align to your pro those priorities, they will respect you more and generally give you a second chance if you just respectfully walk away. Looking at it from the opposite end of it all, like looking at it from a practitioner's mind, I think, you know, you talked about a little bit of the shortcoming that maybe a sales rep may have of, not knowing when to say no, but I think also the practitioner sometimes doesn't know when to listen, right? They sometimes shut down because they've been burned by tools in the past, yes. maybe even sales reps in the past. How do you think tech uh, technologists, the practitioners can kind of maintain that level of confidence when speaking to a sales rep? That's really hard. 
right? And and that's why I have so much like sympathy for individuals like yourself in these positions. I'm not really sure how you kind of decipher some of the noise, right? I think a lot of it is dependent on the skill of the rep. There's, you know, 40 or 50, let's say, reps that don't use good practice. There may be two to five that are using good practice, and it makes it difficult for us. A, a question I have, Chris, is do you recall a letter that I actually sent to you, a handwritten letter? Oh, my gosh. This is back when I was at Netflix, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yes, I do remember. Of course. So I think it's all in the approach, right? I had a boss who told me every way you open a door is the same way you close the door. Obviously, like Chris is a, a very profound name in the space, very credible person at Netflix. And being on the major accounts team, he was someone I really wanted to connect with. So I was sending a lot of emails. I was sending a lot of cold calls. I was sending a lot of you know messages via LinkedIn. But I think the the reason why Chris never like deleted me or he kind of respected me is the it was the approach and the manner in which I always reached out, right? It was always respectful. It was never, you know, too hard or put him in a corner. And I actually took the time to learn about him as a person. So in one of his podcasts, he referenced Mike Tyson. And he said something along the lines <laughs> of the person who wins the fight is not the person who throws the hardest punch, but can take the hardest punch. When I, as a salesperson, was able to demonstrate to Chris that I was interested not only in his job, but him as a person, and we had some commonalities because I had a football coach who always said it's hard to beat a person that, that doesn't quit first. That was where you know you and I, from like a sales perspective and a technical perspective, we were able to get a little bit of a, a conversation going and make it more natural and not as much of a, you know, typical just cold call scenario. Yeah, I, I remember receiving that letter and it, it's very rare that you receive like a handwritten letter from anybody. Uh, but definitely, yeah, you're unbelievably respectful. I, and that, those are my favorite salespeople that generally want to build those relationships. I'd love to hear one of the biggest life lessons that you might have learned through your a sales cycle, like developing a relationship with somebody, what's one of those big lessons that you've learned? And we'd love to hear the story behind that. I won't say which company I was at, but the client was Snowflake. When we were working with Snowflake, there were a lot of things that we started to have complications with the product. In that time where we were having complications, it actually ended up being the, the opportunity for me to build the most trust with my client. So in that, that experience, you know, they were looking at to actually cancel at the time. What I did personally was, you know, I spent a lot of time connecting our point of contact there with our customer success, with our engineering team and going into every call, I would be up front Hey, this is the agenda. Can you help me to understand? Like, is this aligned with what you're trying to accomplish? At the end of every call, he and I would stay on a little bit longer and say, hey, like, what are your thoughts? What else do we need to work on? And it actually ended up, you know, flipping from a account that was going to leave to a more successful account. And I was just doing it genuinely, right? Just because I'm like, hey, if I was in his position, this is what I would want. When he came to our sales kickoff as a guest speaker, he got up there and, you know, usually guest speakers are always bragging about how good your product is. He got up there and said the opposite. He's like, these are all the complications we had. And he's like, but the reason why I'm still here 
is he's like because of Kendrick Trotter. So like I'm this little sales rep, right? I'm young. I'm the only African-American in the room. And like everybody just turns and looks at me. And he said, the reason why I, I appreciated and, and respected Kendrick was because he went out of his way that when we were having these problems, I knew that I had somebody that was going to pick up the phone. And so as I moved to working more at like major accounts, a lot of really big accounts, that was kind of the same thing that I, that I took with me is that a lot of times people appreciate the simple things. And, and I think that as a salesperson now, as a CEO, um, that's the same thing that I try to carry with myself today. Yeah, that's that's a great quality to demonstrate is just the, the fact that you care about the problem and also taking the time to show the customer that you have their best interest in mind, that you're going to continue to work with them while you're working at this product company or even further in the future. There's been times where I really admire some sales reps because not only do they make a great sale and a great case for us buying a piece of technology, but they're going to work at another another company in the future and they're going to have another opportunity to sell. And hopefully they're kind of following the, the trajectory that I'm following and might have an opportunity to sell to me in the future. Being African-Americans in the tech industry, which is unfortunately right now not, not the most diverse industry in the world, can you help me to understand your journey into the positions that you're in today? And how did that happen? Did you grow up always interested in tech? Did you have a family member in tech? Or did you kind of stumble into it similar to how I did? There's a book that we always reference on the podcast. We always talk about it. It's by Cal Newport, Be So Good They Can't Ignore You. And that's something that we kind of live our, our lives by, how we lead our career by. And it's just being so good at, at the things that we do that we are able to have a, that seat at the table, that we're able to be that representation, that we can do things like we are here. And I've always been interested in technology in general. And, and Ron Eddings, he, he's the, the son of cybersecurity, and, and he can tell you a little bit more about that. But always been interested in technology. And what's crazy about where I'm from is when you're into technology like that, when you're into computers, a lot of the people that I would hang out with, it was, like, oh, man, that's nerdy stuff. That's, you know, why are you always playing on the computer, this, that and the other? It, it was almost frowned upon in my community. And so it's almost like I had to keep it the secret. Like it was this thing just for me, you know, playing with electronics kits, making alarm systems and AM radios and different things like that. I was so fascinated by technology, but it wasn't something that I could share with my community as something that I did. But now that I'm in the position that we are with the podcast, with, you know, our positions in our companies, it's something that we're trying to show that is something that is that is cool, that, that we can bring it to our community and, and inspire and, and uplift each other. And so that's been kind of like the journey so far. So we're trying to change a little bit of that narrative, because like you said, you know, when we we look at pathways out of our socioeconomic situations. We either have to be entertainers or sports professionals, but we can be so much more. We could be things across industries, but because we reside in tech, we see that as a pathway for socioeconomic equality. But uh, I'd love to hear Ron's take as well. Yeah, for me, you know, I've always been just a tinkerer. Um, I would say like, yeah, I've always been in technology and cybersecurity, but where my mindset has always been at the end of the day is experimentation. I love to experiment and learn new things just in general. And I think technology has that evolution to where it's always changing. So I'm always able to satisfy that that need to learn and that that need to to also teach. 
But, you know, when I was growing up, there wasn't really many influences that I had in my life as uh, a technology professional. But you two talk about being entertainers, being someone in sports. For me, I didn't have even those examples. Our school had some good athletics, but not really the best. N- nothing to make me think that I would go professional on being a sports athlete or an entertainer. I thought more so the opportunities in my community were at a grocery store. They were at maybe working at like a the most technology company that I knew of at the time was Best Buy. But really just having that need to learn led me to those opportunities to scale my efforts. So like like you were talking about Kendrick, finding that one person that gives you a piece of advice. I've always been willing to listen. So, you know, I always took advice, especially when that advice was coming from a mentor, because that wisdom that you can learn through a book, through someone else, you can consolidate many years of heartache and struggle into one year or months of success. One of my personal goals is that I want to get more representation from diverse groups of people. So people like us growing up, we know that we can too, right? And when you see people that resemble you in positions you have aspirations for, uh, it seems a lot more, I guess, attainable. So a lot of people in my community we believe it's it's a higher chance for us to become an NFL player than to be a lawyer or to be, you know, in the tech industry or the CEO or entrepreneur, not because those statistics are true at all, but because the people who are in the athletics and entertainment industry, they resemble more of, of individuals like us. So the sad thing is, but I guess also the kind of cool thing is for all of us, we kind of stumbled into tech, right? My ultimate goal and the reason why I participate in like sessions like this is so that next generation, they don't have to stumble, right? They know when they're five, they're six, they're seven, they're eight, 10 years old, that if they want to be an engineer, if they want to be an entrepreneur, they want to be a lawyer that because of people like us, you know, they can too. So I appreciate you both sharing that story with me. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of the next generation of professionals, practitioners, whoever it is, I know that you're working a lot with people that are hoping to get that shot into working in technology in one way or another. What are some things that you're doing and what have been some of the surprises along the way? Man, this is something I'm just so, so, so passionate about. Us in Technology is an organization that I formalized in November of this past year. And our mission statement is very clear. We're going to diversify the tech industry with more underrepresented people. And when I use the term underrepresented, I define that as people of underrepresented ethnicities, women, first-generation college graduates, members of the LGBTQ community, people who are raised in single-parent households. It's a very broad definition of what underrepresented is intentionally. I think a lot of times when people hear diversity, they naturally associate that with black or brown. But diversity is actually defined as variety, right? And in the industry, I think we can all agree, we just need more variety. And uh, my co-founder of Us in Tech is actually a white male. And the reason why I co-founded Us in Tech with a white male is because in my humble opinion and talking about the conversations of DEI, there will be no louder voice than a voice of a white and a black person together. Um, So a little bit about our program is on the front end, 
is very important to us that we partner with organizations that are not just looking for the placement of underrepresented people, but are also committed to the retainment of these individuals. Are you going to develop these people? Will they have the opportunity to be promoted within 12 to 15 months? Are you prepared to pay them equally? These are all the questions that you know we ask our clients on the front end to see if they're a good client for us. And then for us, you know, we naturally attract a lot of student athletes. We have really big connections with the HBCUs because I think a lot of companies are like, oh, I'm, I'm looking for black and brown. And then you ask them, well, what have you done with the HBCUs, right? You go to 10 career fairs a year. How many of those are HBCUs? And generally the answer is none. Um, so we're trying to be the official bridge of HBCU graduate students into the tech industry as well. And for our mentees that come into our program, we really just look for the characteristics of coachability, drive, integrity, and intelligence. And if you have those things, specifically in sales, which requires a lot of soft skills, the other things can be learned in addition. Um, and in our program, we give them interview coaching. Uh, we give them resume building coaching. We go through the interview process with them. And then once they actually get the job, they complete a three-week boot camp with us where we teach them you know, some of the best tricks and trades of like how to actually do the job. So that way their experience uh, of transitioning to the space is a lot more positive. And then in addition to that, you know, once they're placed, we also have guest speakers come in and talk about like financial literacy, the basics of investing in stocks, the basics of investing in real estate. A lot of the conversations that people like myself weren't fortunate enough to have growing up. So when I talk to my mentees about us in tech, I tell them all the time, my goal isn't to help teach you how to be a worker, it's to teach you how to be an entrepreneur. Because when we think about all the chaos going on in the world, specifically the inequalities and how African-Americans have been treated throughout history, you know, we have to acknowledge that change happens at the top, not at the bottom. So it's very important, in my opinion, that we still march. But if we really want change, Change isn't going to happen until we get more of our people, more diverse representation into these more influential positions that ultimately make the decisions and, uh, and create the rules for us. So in short, that's, that's pretty much what us and technology is and what we're accomplishing. Outstanding initiative. Kendrick, there's someone that's listening right now that's thinking about either going into technology, but not as a technician, but in a sales role, or maybe they want to be a, a program manager, somebody that works with stakeholders, or perhaps there's a technologist that wants to transfer into the sales role at their company. What piece of advice would you have for that individual that's making that transition into the sales world? If an Uber driver can do it, so can you. I'm in the process of writing a book that says six figures at the age of 23, the secret of software sales. It goes back to the quote that Chris really likes, and I kind of put a spin on, it's hard to be the person that doesn't quit first. So if you're considering sales and you're not really sure what it is, I would say if you're a natural communicator, if you're naturally curious, if you like, you know, problem solving, um, you know, sales is definitely an industry that could be for you. Um, a lot of my mentees that I work with, they have zero relevant experience. They maybe come from like working as a bartender. Um, one young man was working as a chip runner. Another young man was working at like five guys. We had a few young ladies who worked at Hertz rental car. So I would just say, you know, when you're younger or in general in life, 
every time you get the opportunity to take a chance, do it. I remember when I was at that day in the life of Netflix event and Jurgen was talking, uh, mm -hmm. Chris, yeah. he said, my advice to anyone early in their career is to change positions as often as you can to get those different experiences. So anyone who's out there thinking about sales, I would just encourage you, um, you know, feel free to reach out to us. You can apply on our website as well, usintechnology.com. And we can arrange like a consulting conversation where we just connect you with one of the other mentees and, you know, they can kind of help you understand what does it mean to be in this industry and if it's a potential good fit or not. Kendrick, thank you so much for putting on this masterclass for us. For the folks that want to stay up to date with you and all the great things that you're doing with us in technology, what are the best ways that people can do that? Our LinkedIn is probably the most active right now. We had a website, but we actually wanted to redesign the website with the agency that was aligned with our mission. So our website should be re-released in the next um, two weeks or so. But I would say that our best platforms are LinkedIn, our website, usintechnology.com. And then on Instagram, we also have an Instagram and our Instagram name is, is usintech. Excellent. Well, we'll be sure to drop all of those links to your LinkedIn and all the other places in our show notes. Thank you so much, Kendrick. And we'll see everyone next time. I appreciate you, team. If you found value in this content, it would mean the world to us if you shared it on social media, sent it to a friend, or talked about it over coffee. Thank you.